This is an APAC EO production. Welcome to episode 75 of the EO Business Podcast for APAC. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Sven Almenning from the Speakeasy Group. Hi, Sven. How are you doing, man? Now, you have the honour of my first repeat visitor. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you uh, you first came uh, on the show, episode 11, back in February 2019. Um, I remember we I brought my dog. We came around to your... your uh, that was at the time when I was doing all the, the podcasts face-to-face and brought the dog around to your uh, office in Darlow, and we had a great chat. Yeah, that was great fun. Oh, I missed the face-to-face times, man. I, I hope they come back soon. One day, I'm sure. I hope. So... Um, <laughs> So uh, tell us what you've been up to over the last couple of years. You can, I've mostly you, been in lockdown, I feel. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, I mean, since, we last, since I last saw you, we, um, we opened two more, two new venues, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Um, uh, one opened, I believe, two weeks before COVID hit Australia. Um, and the second one opened, um, was meant to open a month after COVID hit Australia and ended up being delayed by, by six. And we, we opened uh, in Melbourne for three days and then we went back in lockdown. Oh, so it's bloody lot- hell, yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of in and out of lockdowns in the last couple of years. Um, and we've also launched a couple of other small businesses, uh, uh, an e-commerce play for the modern Viking that, that um, comes off our Mjolnir restaurant called Viking Mode um, and a uh, whiskey business whiskey subscription business called whiskey freaks so we've been trying to stay busy even though our industry is more or less uh shut down at the moment so how many venues are you up to now well we we were we were i think we were we were up to eight we're down to seven now and then hopefully back up to eight early next year one of our venues uh lease ran out and another one um we're actually in court over uh over um some stuff that went down during COVID. Um, we believe it was an unfair, um, I don't know, like they canceled our lease on us uh, middle of COVID. Yeah. So, so that's kind of brought the numbers down, but we're, we're in the process of opening more. We, we do think that hospitality will return. Hmm. Um, it is just, it's going to be very interesting to see how it returns. I don't think it's going to be the way it used to be. It feels like we could, you know, depending on how things sort out, we could be in for the roaring 20s. <laughs> <As> a- <laughs> it's i mean it's weird like i never i never thought we would be you know our business would become illegal which it effectively became there for a while and, and currently is like it's illegal to operate uh um, yeah just, just strange um i don't think we're going to see a lot of uh people running illegal bars and stuff but i i, I do think we're going to see a, a massive change in how people go out um, and where they go out and, 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 and why they go out uh, after this. Um, mm. You spend months and months in lockdown, you develop new habits that are hard to break. Um, and so I think we're going to see the industry change yeah, dramatically as we, as we come out of this thing eventually. So with seven or eight venues, that's a lot of responsibility, a lot of staff, all of that. How do you, how do you hold Oh, I wish I knew the yeah. answer. Um, just day by day or week by week and it's you hard. make it. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. I mean, the thing with staff, and we had 200 staff, we came into lockdown and, and, and um, it, it's the hardest. I think the hardest thing is just how little support the teams got 
I felt in terms of from the government and how, and how the how the support was was given out. Um, you know, you have people working in Australia, living in Australia for four, five, six, seven years. They got families here. They got you know their whole career here, and all of a sudden they're not getting JobKeeper because they're not a citizen. Yeah, right. Um, so, so. Some kind of visa. That that was tough. Um, yeah. Also, you have say if you're a head chef for a venue, you're on 100, 100 grand plus. All of a sudden, you're going down from 100k a year to 37,500 on JobKeeper pre-tax and you can't pay your mortgage with that your car loan you can't look after your family so a lot of people got hit really hard and i think that was the most difficult thing was just trying to you know do as much as we can for the team mm-hmm. um but there's a limit to how much you can because the gap between what they were getting and what they you know pre-covid and during covid was so huge um that no business could really fund the difference especially if you're not able to trade <laughs> yeah um so that was definitely the, the hardest bit um and and then you just i think the, the easiest thing for, for us is to kind of look at what you have as opposed to what you don't have yeah um and be grateful for what you have rather than focusing on on what you're losing out on and what you're missing out on and, and what you've lost during this t- time because if you're focusing on what you're losing it's a it's a big black hole there, you know. Yeah. Um, and like I live in Avalon, and I can look outside the window, and I can, you know, I've got a yard here. I can exercise in and do my thing, and I can I can focus on how lucky we are, fortunate we are to have what we have, and that certainly helps a lot, you know, changing that conversation around to gratefulness of what you have, as opposed to constantly focusing on what you're missing out on and what you're losing during this time. Yeah, I mean, it's a great leveler, isn't it? Because there's a lot of people in the same situation and everybody's impacted in some way and, and taking a bit of a hit. So. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, of course there are industries that are booming. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah big pharma. Yeah. 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 There's, you know, if you're in groceries, you're doing well. Um, but um, you know, there's a few that are, of course they're doing really well, but a lot of people are, are of course impacted. And I think it's also easy um, to forget what it's like for the, younger generation out there like you know we i spoke to someone in melbourne one of my staff there had this amazing story of how they had to go in a an agreement during covid where one day a week you weren't allowed to leave your bedroom um and basically what happens there like you have a bartender or waiter you know sharing with say an accountant uh how they don't know each other they found each other on an ad the bartender is there in, 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 only during the daytime. The accountant's there only during nighttime. They never see each other. COVID comes. They're on top of each other seven days a week, 24 hours a day. They don't even, they're not even friends. Yeah. Um, you can't turn on the TV without having to negotiate with someone you don't really know what to watch. And they basically came to this agreement that, you know what, one day a week, you can free reign, walk around the apartment in your underwear and whatever, eat chips on the couch and watch whatever you want whilst one person's in the bedroom and another day of the week, it's a role reversal. And then five days a week, you share the apartment. Um, and this I wonder thing- if that was the accountant's idea or the bartender's <laughs> idea. <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea. <laughs> but, you know, you look at that and you go, wow, like if you're, if you're in a house or a yard garden, then you're in a very different situation to a lot of people here. And, and, and um, um, it gives you appreciation for what you have but also some understanding as to why some people may not be following rules in the yeah. same way because they just don't have the comforts you know it's a it, 
what's the, the, the in the beginning it was all in this together and i i don't think that was ever correct i think uh the new saying now is like you know we're all in the same storm but but we yeah. are in different boats yeah 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 everyone has uh, their own experience i guess what that's what you right. make of it that's right so um I got you sort of back on the show because we did the the whiskey freaks um, experience a couple of weeks back. That's right. Um, for those that weren't there, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what this concept is and and um, how good is how good is a whiskey? <laughs> I'm not a whiskey drinker, but I could really I really appreciated uh, the fine uh, drops you served up. Uh, awesome, yeah. No, the whiskey. Whiskey Freaks was interesting. So, I mean, during, during lockdown, a, a lot of venues were talking about, you know, it's a lot of talk about pivots and changing what you're doing. And, and um, you know, for us, doing takeaway and delivery food and cocktails wasn't something that we were overly passionate about. You know, as a business, we're all about creating experiences. And, and um, whilst we did end up doing some delivery food, we didn't do it until we had created a proper experience around it with playlists and videos and all kinds of stuff that you could tap into. Um, and we looked at this and went, there's a lot of effort going into creating a, a Band-Aid solution for the business. Um, why don't we take spend that time and effort creating a business that we think we can work on long-term, uh, something that we can be passionate about and, and, and it's more in line with who we are. And that's when Whiskey Freaks came about. And, and the idea there basically is that so a lot of people out there who want to learn about whiskey and, and, or who does do like whiskey but don't know what to try and, and, and what to sample. And, and when, you, when you go out and start buying bottles of whiskey and hundreds of dollars, you know, if you don't like it, it's, it kind of sucks to spend 200 bucks on a bottle of whiskey and you don't yeah. enjoy it. So what we're doing instead, you know, we, people can sign up to a subscription. They get three 50 mil bottles of, of whiskey a month. Um, and those whiskeys have been selected by us. They're all beautiful whiskeys. They fit a different theme each month. So you can have, you know, Pete Monsters uh, is coming up soon. We had our Sherry Bombs on the, I think on our, on our little um, masterclass on, on, online. Um, and each month you get then a selection of highly curated whiskeys that you can try. If you love them, go out and get a full bottle. Uh, if you don't, then you had a chance to sample something new. Um, and they come in, you know, you come with a little book so you can log your, it's a bit nerdy, but you can log your experience <laughs> and, and how you, uh, what you thought about each whiskey. So you can go back to that and, 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 and buy those bottles later if you want them. Um, and because they're not served in a bar, um, the overheads around it is, is lower. So when, you, when this arrives at your home, it's, you know, per mill, it's more expensive than buying a bottle, but it's, you know, half the price of what it would cost to buy it in a bar. Yeah. Uh, the same amount. So it's a, it's a cheaper way to, to try whiskey. Um, and every single month you then have given a chance to expand your repertoire. Um, and like the, the way we're hoping this will pan out is that now we're doing a lot of corporate masterclasses now uh, for like, like we did with, with you and EO, a, a large group of people online and we talked them through it, um, which is great. But what I'm loving to see is I've got friends now. I'm doing this on Thursday as well, um, or Friday, sorry. We have friends who are buying a subscription for a mate for a birthday gift, maybe a three-month subscription. And then, you know, once a month for three months, those two people catch up on a Zoom call and drink the same whiskey, right? Yeah. Um, and that's perfect if you're not in the same state. So I've got a friend up here. He's got a mate in Adelaide. That's what they're doing. I'm doing the same with a friend, in, surprisingly, in Adelaide as well later this week. And just giving people a chance to connect over, over whiskey is really the, the idea. Um, and we've so, learned about whiskey. So does that dial back into your thesis that maybe 
how we socialise is going to change even after lockdown lifts? I think I think so. I think massive things are going to change. I think that a lot of people have, like when, 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 when somebody talks about the bar and restaurant industry and a bar opens up across the road or a restaurant opens up next to you, uh, people always refer to that as competitors. Um, and that, that might be true uh, for grocery. And that might be true for a $2 store. And that could be true for a lot of things. But I refuse to believe that's true for bars and restaurants. If you look at the cross, when the lock, uh, lockout laws came um, years ago, and you know we lost 90%, 80 90% of all licensed premises in King's Cross in a two-year period. And you had you had the is it the Roosevelt or the Roosevelt? Yeah, Roosevelt and Roosevelt Oceanville were both in that area. Yeah, uh, right. Both of those venues survived and stayed. I mean, most others closed down. Um, and so, if those other venues that closed were our competitors, then we should be busy, right? Yeah. But we were down fifty percent, and because because people came to the area to go out, and we all yeah. collaborated and bringing people out there. And what I look at. Uh, as our competition now isn't venues there's never been venues it's your couch at home yeah that's my competition for the bars i need to get you off the couch i need to get you away from netflix and amazon prime and binge and all those things right um that's our that's our competition and i think it's going to take more and more to get people out into venues and off the couch yeah. um, in the future so you're going to need probably more experience there's better reason to go out than, than you did before um and I also think people will choose uh, the comfort of their home, but they still want to catch up with friends. So, so we think that the subscription, we're hoping that it'll be mostly face-to-face gatherings and people getting together. But if you are separated because of lockdown or you are separated just on distance, using this as an excuse to have like a scheduled meeting, because you get the whiskey at the same time every month, um, whether you're in Sydney or in Adelaide, it comes once you have the subscription, the first one comes when you sign up. And after that, it comes on a set date every month. Uh, gives you a reason to to catch up with your friends. The um, the packaging of the whole whiskey freaks I thought was incredible. How long did it take you to develop that? Because that that's a really I don't know, it was absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. Now, yeah, it, it took a took a while. I mean, we want to do things. We want to do things right. Um, we want it to be you know a bit up market and 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 feel like have that great unboxing experience and and you know just have have to having had this business around for like. It's not even two months old yet. Uh, we're already looking at, you know, bricks and mortar locations for it. Um, so the concept is just constantly growing for us. Um, but the packaging, I, I can't take much credit for that. The, the name came from my, uh, my, my business partner, Greg. Um, and the, I think the packaging, most of that came from uh, Maddie and, and Greg, who so a marketing girl, and, and, uh, and Greg, who came up with it all. Yeah. I'm very happy with it. So I remember when I first saw you speak years ago down in Hobart at, uh, <laughs> and you had, you had this, this saying, the fuck yeah, that uh, <laughs> that's always stuck with me and my wife. We always joke around saying fuck yeah when we get you know, excited about something. Fuck yeah. is, that what, is that what drives you? Is it that creative spark that? Oh, 100%. I mean, this business was original. We had a draft, right? So I'm working on a whiskey book right now and the draft title for the whiskey book was Whiskey Fuck Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so that was only, the, only sold online, <laughs> not in bookstores. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> now, hang on, what's the book? The subtle art of not giving a fuck is very popular. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but so yeah, so so um, the 
our base, our, our decision-making process in the business is pretty simple. We get asked a lot about this. Uh, do we do market research? How do we go about stuff? And a while ago, we decided that there were, you know, unless the response we have to a concept is, fuck yeah, let's do this. It's a no. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's just straight up. Because the idea there is that we are found throughout the, like you need a business to make money, right? Um, but if I start a business with the purpose of making money, that's the goal the, and success is money, um, then we're just not passionate about it. We're just mm. not excited about it. It doesn't, it just appeals to the capitalist greed in you. And, and I don't find that to be a great motivator. Um, what I love doing is, and, and what gets me to spend 15 hours, 20 hours, if I need to a day on a, on a project or a business is if I absolutely love the idea of the business, the purpose of it, what it can do for others, how I, how others engage with it. And so, you know, that is a, that is kind of be, become the milestone for us is that, you know, we're in business, not, you know, to get rich, we're in business so we can do what we love. Mm. And I think that's a very important differentiator uh, you have to make sure that when you're doing what you love you're making profit <laughs> Otherwise, yeah 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 we can't keep going otherwise, yeah yes yeah, so you got to put the capitalist lens over it but in terms of that initial spark that initial kind of kickoff it has to then appeal to who we are as people and what we want to spend our time on and that's why it's become such a uh, a good way of looking at what should we do next? Because we look at something and go, wow, that's a great opportunity and that makes a lot of sense. It's got a lot of profit in it. And then we go, no, we're not doing it. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not pumped. Um, whereas if I'm texting my business partner at 11.30 at night with different names for a new business or different ideas for a new concept, that's a fuck yeah business and we're going to do yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so looking back on all the, I guess, the startups within Speakeasy Group that you've done, as it is that strategy of um using that as your your reason to move forward on projects has it been successful like what what's your strike rate do you reckon oh it's been very successful i mean i think i mean we didn't catch on to it until we, in a few years in i think the first time we did this was when we opened Mjolnir in in redfern so Mjolnir is a viking inspired restaurant and if you look at that on paper i remember when sydney morning herald came out with the first review and it said i'm gonna open a a whole animal, you know, tops and tail for a carvery, right? And, and whiskey bar in a basement in Redfern um, that's inspired by Vikings, you know, said one person ever, yeah. um, you know, and at the time there was no market for like Viking yeah, restaurants. I, I was going to say, it sounds pretty niche. Yeah, it's very niche, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very niche. That If you ask people, you know, uh, what would you like a Viking, a Viking restaurant in your neighborhood? And people go, what the hell is that? Yeah. So, you know, for us, we just had the idea. I was like, this is great. I call up my, my business partners. I do really think of this thing. And he's like, fuck yeah, that is so good. And, and we never checked with anybody else. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it was like the most successful restaurant opening or bar of any opening we had. We opened one in Melbourne, more or less exactly 12 months after the first one in Sydney. Um, and it's worked really, really well. And I think if you, if you really are passionate about what you do, I, and you have some commercial, um, uh, what do you call it, intelligence, you're able to, to, to do your forecasting and make sure you can operate it. And, and, and you know, then, then doing what you're passionate about, I think, works out better than just doing something where there's an opportunity, mm. uh, you know. And, and you might get richer off the opportunity, 
but I'm not sure you're going to be happier. Yeah, yeah. I know so, a lot of miserable rich people. <laughs> well, that's true. That's very <laughs> true. Um, so tell us a little bit about the strategy of your hard to find. Like you've you've got this sort of classic style of making your venues a little bit hard to find. How does how does how does that work for people that don't don't know about your venues? It's so again, it's something that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I think when I came to to uh, do the EO talk, I think that the talk I did when we first met was was basically um, you know how we built a successful business by ignoring great business rules or great business advice. Yeah. Um, and making a business hard to find is, you know, it's, a, it's an absolute no-no in most areas. But for us, the, what, what it does is that it allows the people that really want to come. So it takes a while for people to find us, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's two things. It means that we can be niche. If you are on George Street in Sydney, well, Pitt Street in Sydney, you're on you know, Main Street in Melbourne, right? Um, with a double frontage and it says bar, then anybody looking for a Bundy and Coke or a $6 glass of Chardonnay or, or a VB might come in there for a drink. Um, and, and that's completely fine. It's just that we don't serve those drinks. I'm not passionate about doing what the pub next door is doing. So we want to serve, you know, drinks with a lot of experience, a lot of theater, beautiful cocktails. You want the best bartenders in the country to be serving you. You want the best waiters in the country to be serving you. You want beautiful food. Um, and we want to take our time with stuff and provide an experience. So if those people kept coming into the venue looking for a quick shot and a beer, um, they would have a bad experience because we can't help them. They ask for a crown. We don't have that. They ask for VB. We don't have that. They ask for a ton of stuff we don't have. We didn't have Jack and Coke. We can't. We don't have Coke mm-hmm. um, in any venue. Um, and so by hiding the venue and making people work for it and finding us, it means that the people that come genuinely want to be there. Um, yeah. And they're more likely to stay, but also because it's such a nightmare to find some of these venues. I mean, Mjolnir is hard to find. Um, and Odevi was, was terribly hard to find. Um, it means that finding the venue is part of the experience. And so when you're then going out with friends, you've got, hey, you've got to come with me. And you take your friends, like in Melbourne to Odevi, it's like down a laneway and then off that laneway, down another laneway, past a bunch of stuff. You get an unmarked door, there's no sign, nothing. It's just a door. And then you got to have the confidence to open that door. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're inside, you can hear the music, but you still can't see anything because you got to snake around to kind of get in there. So even finding the venue becomes part of the experience. And because that's a fun experience, that group now, they say there's four people in that group that hadn't been before. They now go out and find their friends that they bring. Yeah. And that's kind of how that, so it's, it's like they're they're in the in a in a circle or in the know where this place is, and that's a talking point. Exactly. But also makes it hard to leave, I guess. If it's hard to find, it's hard to leave. You get lost. Well, hopefully it's such, <laughs> so good. Hopefully the price is so good that you want to stay there. And we, yeah. we try to make it always ten o'clock at night in there, so that you know, yeah, you lose track of time. Yeah. Um, but I think that that whole discovery model, um, you know, works really well as long as you can afford to wait and. And another thing I think is important is that we wanted to avoid the old exclusivity of bars. So used to, I mean, still, if you go to the UK and US, you know, members clubs are very, very popular, same all the way through Asia. Um, a lot of places it comes down to, you know, face code, I call it in Russia, you know, like how do you look and what you dress like. Um, and we didn't want to apply that kind of stuff to our venues. We didn't want to be elitist. Mm. So, you know, but we still wanted to, 
people to come for what you do. So by hiding the venue, you don't have to have dress codes in place. And then we don't really care what you look like if you turn up and as long as you could find it, you most likely, if you made the effort, you want to be there for what we are. Um, yeah. I think the only dress code we have is we like, don't allow thongs in winter or something like that. <laughs> well, that's right. Otherwise, fair. it's like, yeah, it's, you know, if you can find us, come in, have a great time. And, and most people do make an effort, you know, they go to these venues, um, uh, you know, because it, they normally come for a special occasion. I guess the other uh, benefit is you probably got some of these venues at a great rental deal as well because they're, you know, they're not, not straight up uh, on the main street or whatever. Yes, that's true. Yeah, we're getting it, especially in the early days, you know, we, when we, we were looking for these venues, you know, getting a good rent is important to us. Um, and our rent uh, percentage versus turnover is very low compared to the industry average. It's probably less than half or around half what people normally would pay. Mm. Um, it is becoming harder and harder to, to get those deals now because now the industry has matured a bit and, and hidden bars are doing really well in general. So it's, it's more now become an opportunity for the landlord to charge full price for a hidden basement. Yeah. <laughs> more so yeah. more than a great opportunity so, for us. So, to get so there's been a few copycats, I take it. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it copycat. I mean, yeah, there's been other people doing the same and it's, that's great. Mm. I think I think it's like with everything, the more people that are doing it, like a market gets created. If we were the yeah. only hidden bar in Sydney, but there would be no market for hidden bars. Yeah. Um, and same in Melbourne, but the more there are that are hidden, the more that do this thing, uh, we become collaborators and we create a, a trend. If there was one great cocktail bar in Sydney, people wouldn't be drinking cocktails yeah. in general. So uh, for me, this whole idea that the industry collaborates by creating trends, by creating uh, hotspots to go to, um, is really more how I, how I look at the industry as opposed to considering them as as competitors or people that, that take what you do. I mean, we have... Um, a lot of people that copy stuff directly. I mean, I got sent just uh, was it a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, a cocktail list from a bar in New Zealand, which basically has our yep. cocktails on it. It's just our cocktails. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, plagiarism is the the, uh, the highest form of, what do they say? <laughs> Plagiar- it's the uh, highest form of creativity or, or something, something like that. Or flattery, I think. Yeah, or flattery, yeah. Yep. So that's, that's, that's great. So, look, if... Um, if people uh, know, uh, give us your website, Sven, so people can check in to see what you're doing. You've got the Speakeasy Group. Speakeasygroup.com.au. Uh, you've got whiskeyfreaks.com.au. And if you're, uh, if you're into, uh, you know, badass Viking stuff, then check out vikingmode.com.au, um, where we sell, you know, the drinking horns at Mjolnir and the, the jewelry that, that the, the, the staff wear and some of our cool knives and our recipe book and stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot going on at the moment, uh, despite being closed. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, Sven, well, thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing your story again. Thank you so much for having me. For uh, and, and I'm I'm very um, honoured to be the first return guest. Thank you so much. You've been listening to an APAC EO production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.